Welcome to the F Word Conversations on Faith. I am your host, Pastor Matt Miofsky. It is good to be with you. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, just a quick word. If you want to get in touch with me, you can search for me on Facebook, uh, Pastor Matt Miofsky. I would love to hear your questions, comments, anything you would love me to tackle. Uh, at the end of each show, I usually open up the mailbag and uh, answer some of your questions. So contact me there. You can also email me at the F word at gatheringnow.org. I hope you will do that. So I have to tell you that mental health has been on my mind a lot lately uh, for some tragic reasons and just, I think, some pretty normal reasons. And in just a little bit, we're going to have a really special interview with producer Jeff. I call him producer Jeff because he is the producer for the F word. He's sitting right here with me. He always controls the dials, uh, but he also is a podcaster in his own right. And he has a podcast called Simple Mental Health. And we're going to talk to him about that. But I want to tell you why I think this is an important conversation, why it's been on my mind. Uh, two things. The first one really hard. About a month ago, I did a funeral for a person who took his own life in the congregation. And I have to tell you that as a pastor, there are no harder funerals to do, really. And this is a person that I had known for 17 years. I baptized uh, two of his kids. And it just, it hit me in a really personal way. And, and I was reflecting on this actually with a therapist in our congregation. And uh, they asked me a really simple question, you know, how many of these funerals do you do? And I, and I got to thinking that probably in the course of my 20 years in ministry, I don't do very many. I, I bet once every 18 months to two years, I do a funeral for someone who who takes their own life. But in the past year, I've done or been involved in four, just in the past year. Now, you know, people have asked me, do you think the pandemic causes that? And my, you know, my response is always the same. It certainly didn't help. It certainly didn't help the sense of isolation, of loneliness, that there's nowhere to turn that can oftentimes uh, be going on inside of a person. So I, I don't know what it's about. I just know that it's accelerated the past year. And so it's been on my mind a lot lately. And it, it reminds me of that saying that a lot of you have heard that, you know, we, we only see like a fraction of what people are dealing with in their life. And so just be be gentle, be kind, be gracious to each other because we don't know what internal battles others are experiencing. Of these four this past year, three out of the four of them came as a surprise to the people who were closest. And, and and that's just something that hasn't hasn't gotten off my mind. I've been thinking about it really for the past month and all year. Um, and, and, and I'm going to say the second reason. So mental health has been on my mind because of these really tragic instances that have happened over the past year. But additionally, and in a more kind of everyday way, I think the past 13 months, 14 months, the pandemic year, uh, we, we've certainly seen a rise in some of the things that can lead people to struggling more with their mental health. And I named some of those things like isolation, uh, things like a sense of loneliness, um, uh, financial or marital or parenting stressors that can oftentimes um, lead to this. And so the past year has not been kind, I think, to our mental health, any of us, all of us. And I think 
we, we've seen this in studies that have talked about the, the impact on kids of not being able to be in school with other kids or not being able to play uh, instruments or be in theater or, or play a sport. We've seen it in adults who've lost a sense of connection with other people. We've seen it in, in seniors who are alone and even more alone now. And so I, I just it's it's been on my mind that mental health now more than ever is something that we need to be paying attention to. And yet, even though we need to be paying attention to it, we need to be talking about it, we need to in in many ways destigmatize it, it still remains, even in 2021, something that there's a, a stigma around. And for those of you who are St. Louisans, um, you, you might know this story. Others of you, uh, you may not know this, but in 1972, I know that's a long time ago, 1972, is before I was born, incidentally, uh, George McGovern was running for president against Richard Nixon. And McGovern picked as his running mate for vice president, the then U.S. Senator from Missouri, a guy named Tom Eagleton. Locals will know his name. If you're not local, maybe you won't. And like weeks after Eagleton was named as the vice president, news stories broke out about the fact that Eagleton suffered from depression. And he even once underwent uh, shock treatment for that depression, which was a, a, a treatment that was somewhat regularly done back then. And psychiatrists at the time said that it was actually dangerous for a person who suffered from depression to be so close to the presidency. And I, I, I bring this up because in two weeks' time from that, he was forced to actually resign as the vice presidential candidate. Now, I wasn't born in 1972, but I remember reading that story later. It's one that's always stuck with me over the years. It represents kind of... How recently, I mean, that was 50 years ago, that kind of stigma um, was so strong that, that a person couldn't even run for public office if they suffered from depression. And we, we've come a long way, I think, in those 50 years, but there's still, for so many, a sense of, of fear, of shame, of embarrassment uh, around mental health or admitting that maybe we're struggling or wrestling with something when it comes to our mental health. And yet, uh, I don't think many of us realize just how widespread this is, just how many people wrestle alongside us. I mean, there's some kind of big picture statistics. According to the World Health Organization, over 350 million people worldwide suffer just from depression alone. It's the leading cause of a disability. If you just look at you know people who um, have to take disability at work, this is the leading cause of it worldwide. In the U.S. alone, uh, nearly 17 million people at any given time just have major depression. If you just combine depression and anxiety, the two most diagnosed mental health conditions in the United States, 20% of people, that's one out of every five people, just have one of those two conditions. If you lump in any mental health condition, um, uh, you know, I was talking to Jeff earlier about this before we went on air. I think Johns Hopkins recently said that something like 26%, one in every four people, have a diagnosed mental health condition. Those are just the diagnosed ones. And if you start slicing and, and dicing this up a little bit, you see other really interesting things. Like, for example, postpartum depression. I know, I know a lot of women feel uh, embarrassed to talk about this. One in five women, though, have postpartum depression. LGBTQ people are twice as likely to experience depression. 30% nearly of LGBTQ youth um, suffer from depression. 
As an aside, LGBT youth are five times more likely to attempt suicide. I mean, this is all around us. Numbers go up if you're unemployed, if you're a person of color in this country, if you're a victim of a crime. And so you begin to see that when when we're in a stressful time as a country, when economically we're stressed, when relationally we're stressed, when as parents we're stressed, all of these kind of numbers can go up. And yet... Here's what I think is most significant. This is really why I wanted to have this conversation. Because even given that overwhelming evidence that this is something that a lot of us wrestle with, uh, two out of three people will never seek help for it. That's the estimate, is that two out of three people who suffer from depression or anxiety, some other mental health condition, won't, um, will not seek help, will never seek help. And even though seeking help works, even though there are resources and in some cases therapies and medicines and things that can help us to, to manage the reality of mental health conditions in our lives, you know, two uh, of three people uh, w- won't ever seek those out. And so we can see that there's still a stigma really attached to conversations around mental health. And some of you might be wondering as pastor why, you know, so what, Matt? What does this have to do with faith? Well, I'll tell you, it's a couple of things. First of all, I don't want to do another funeral for someone who struggled alone with a mental health condition because they felt a stigma or felt afraid or felt embarrassed or felt uh, shameful about reaching out. I don't want to have to do that again. Um, secondly, because I don't want people to think that they're all alone. You know, one of the primary messages of God throughout the Bible is, I am with you. You are not alone. We can do this. We can walk through this together. I I will help and save you, God God says. And we're going to talk a little bit more later about what that means, like specifically. And, and, And thirdly, if we're honest about the Bible, what we find is that the heroes of the Bible, these people that we look up to, that we see as models of faith, they are people that the biblical writers told us struggled with what today we would probably call mental health condition. I mean, now some of you are saying, what are in the world are you talking about, Matt? Well, I want you to just think about it. Those of you who know a little something about the Bible. David, if you ever read about King David, he fell into deep despair, the Bible says, after his affair with Bathsheba. Elijah, someone I'm preaching about actually right now at the gathering, he had all the markers of what today we would call major depression and and loneliness when he had to flee and he was spending time alone out in the desert. Jonah ran away from God and isolated himself from others in his life. Job struggled through periods of, of great melancholy and tragedy and suffering and Moses had many times that he wanted to quit or die, that he would just say, I'd rather my life end right now, suicidal thoughts. The Gospels even say Jesus was deeply anguished at one time. These are not oftentimes words we use anymore. Jeremiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, on multiple occasions expressed the difficulties of his life and his feelings that he just wished it were over. And You know, I don't want to go back and like psychoanalyze biblical characters, but you read this language, you know, mental health categories that we have today weren't really something the biblical authors had, you know, 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. But you go back and you look at some of this and you begin to think, uh, hey, this looks an awful lot like what we might call a mental health condition. 
And what's really incredible is the biblical authors didn't hide this. It's not like they pretended like these people were all healthy, but they actually tell us about their times of struggle. In fact, most of the time, the only reason we know their stories is because they struggled and God met them in the struggle and God did significant things, even with people who, who struggled with anguish, with despair, with uh, thoughts of their life ending prematurely. Like all this is right there in the Bible. And it almost begs us, asks us that to, to no longer hide or be shameful about the things we struggle with, but instead be willing to talk about it, be willing to wrestle with it, be willing to name it, uh, be willing to seek God's help and the help of the people God has put around us. And so I think it's important that we talk about it. And again, it's been on my mind just lately because of the realities of the past year and the reality of that funeral that I did just a year ago. And so I suspect that if you're listening today, you might yourself resonate with some of those things I named. I mean, maybe you're, you're not diagnosed or you don't think you have like a diagnosable condition, but I bet some of those things, isolation, loneliness you know, feeling sometimes a little hopeless, a little lost. I mean, something like that. There's probably feelings a lot of us can identify with. Some of you may be wondering, huh, I wonder if there's something I can do about that. Maybe I should talk to somebody about that. Maybe you've wondered that. Or maybe you're just a person who has a loved one or a friend or a family member or a spouse that you know struggles with mental health and you just want to know how you can better come alongside that person. I mean, I think those are all the kinds of things we're going to talk about. So I'm really excited. After the break, we're going to come back with Jeff Allen. He's going to be our guest. Uh, But first, this is the F Word Conversations on Faith on the Big 550 KTRS. Is your life a mess? Maybe you feel challenged to find a way out of the mess, or maybe it has become increasingly difficult to navigate your mess, especially when our entire world feels messy. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then we invite you to join us at The Gathering to explore how to find God in the mess of our life. Visit gatheringnow.org to learn more. We know that finding God in the mess can be challenging, but during great challenges and even seasons of despair, God can be found and has been known to change lives. At The Gathering, we believe that we as people were built for connection. And in this current season, it's never been more important to be and feel a part of something, messy or not. So wherever you are, both mentally and physically, you can worship with us online or in person. Visit gatheringnow.org for more information on times and locations. And while there, we hope you'll spend some time and explore what The Gathering has to offer. Our hope for today cannot rest on the world being less messy, but rather finding hope and life in the mess. Visit gatheringnow.org today, where everyone is welcome. Welcome back to the F Word Conversations on Faith. I am your host, Pastor Matt Miofsky, and today I want to welcome a very special guest, my friend, my coworker, the producer of the F Word, actually. He's always on uh, the other side of my computer screen, pushing buttons. Uh, but he is a podcaster in his own right, Jeff Allen. Jeff, welcome to the microphone instead of just the soundboard. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. This is weird. I know, because <laughs> you're sitting here every week yeah. that we do this. You're always sitting here. Every once in a while, you'll chime in. But mm-hmm. this one is all about you. Uh, because earlier this year, you started a podcast called Simple Mental Health. And as the name says... It's about mental health, but in a language that sort of normal people can 
understand. You're not a mental health professional, but you are someone with a, a an interest in this. Mm-hmm. But talk a little bit about the project. What's the podcast? And more importantly, why did you want to start this? Sure. Well, this year I had the opportunity to do it. it two things kind of happened. One is I've I've always been outspoken about my mental health. And, and um, this year here at the gathering, our pastor charity started a speaker series online. And I was asked because I always talk about mental health on Facebook to speak about it. And I was able to speak about whatever I wanted. So I decided to talk about kind of my story of being diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. And then uh, meanwhile, I co-host a podcast about um, addiction and mental health with Chris Pondoff called Pondoff Anonymous. He was a guest on this show and we kind of went on a hiatus. So I had the time to, to do something and I thought, well, let me just do a few episodes just about mental health. Chris talked about the addiction side. I kind of talked, chimed in about the mental health stuff. And so let me just do, you know, maybe five podcasts and that'll be it about uh, mental health that's accessible. So that's kind of, I just wanted to break down, you know, anxiety, depression, things like that and information, make it accessible. So I ended up calling it simple mental health. Yeah. Well, I I wanted to start, I want to talk some about the podcast itself, but I I thought I wanted to start with you because a big part of your show is your own story, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's something that so many people wrestle with, but it's really personal to you. So you talk about your story in the podcast, but I I thought, can you talk a little bit about your childhood and kind of how you came to an awareness uh, of your own struggle with mental health? Sure. Yeah. My, you know, my childhood was awesome. And, but when I look back, I can definitely see that I was an anxious kid. And what really you know, started this for me was I saw a picture that someone had tagged me in on Facebook. Um, it was a, it was a childhood friend. We would always go on these little trips together and, um, we were at Grant's farm and I could see the three other kids that were on the trip of the families kind of bunched together, you know, hamming it up for the camera. And I was just sort of off to the side, kind of looking concerned, I guess you could say, uh, maybe nervous. And when I saw that, it all kind of clicked for me because I could remember these trips and and remember even, you know, I was probably five in that picture, even up through like the sixth grade uh, when we would do family trips with with other kids. I can remember feeling uneasy and, and even a little bit of sick. And I'd beg my mom to not to so it, just let me stay home. I don't want to go. Mm. And she would always say, you know, you're going to be fine. Uh, it's, you always have fun. And she was right. I, you know, always had fun. We'd get home and she'd say, you know, didn't you have fun? I'm like, well, yeah, I did, but <laughs> I don't know. I would always just, uh, but it didn't solve it for the next time. That's still right. Anxious, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, if you f- even fast forward to when my wife and I were first dating and, and engaged and married and we'd go up to dinner with other couples, like I would find myself feeling sick just before we'd leave or queasy. Like if I, we would go to a restaurant and I would always know where the bathroom was in case I started to f- feel sick to my stomach. Yeah. You know? So, so when did this, I, I mean, when did you kind of have that moment where you thought, Oh, maybe this is more than just a personality quirk of mine or yeah. just something everybody must deal with, or just something I must get over mm-hmm. to, to make the change to say, maybe this is actually like a condition or a mental, yeah. something that has to do with mental health that I can actually seek help for. Yeah. Well, before I worked at the gathering, I worked at a, at a mega church in Illinois and I was a worship leader there and I was on stage in front of 
thousands of people every week if you added up the different service times. And that didn't really tend to bother me a whole lot. But one week, I, I remember we were having a rehearsal and there was other things going on in the building. And all of a sudden, I felt my heart beating faster. And so I went to the ER and, you know, having heart palpitations. And I thought I was having a heart attack. And they said, no, you're fine. And sent me home. And then one week on a Sunday, I said, I'm, I'm sick. I'm going home. Luckily, I had backup, you know. So I went home. And as soon as I got home, I felt fine. And it was that week my wife worked at that church as well. And she said, she came home and she said, how do you feel? I said, fine. She goes, maybe you have anxiety. You know, she, it took someone else to see it. So I went to my general practitioner and she diagnosed me with generalized anxiety disorder. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you talk uh, on your show, you and I have talked a lot about just the stigma that surrounds mental health still today and, and the stigma around seeking help for it. And I know at least part of your mission is to destigmatize mm-hmm. these topics, these kind of conversations. Uh, talk a little bit about how that played out, though, in your life. Uh, what Did you experience that stigma? And why do you think it's so important to sort of deal with this stigma that still surrounds mental health? Yeah. Well, social stigmas are weird, I think, because we can't always trace where and why they ended up in our values or mm-hmm. our culture. And I don't have any clue why I thought having a mental disorder was a bad thing, but I know that I, I did. So through culture or just growing up, I guess the stigma, you know, got to me eventually. But when I first saw someone talk about it, you know, out in the open, it gave me courage to open up as well. So I figured that if I opened up, maybe more people would see that they weren't alone. So mainly, and in a way, I guess I was hoping that people would drop me a line and let me know that I wasn't alone either. Yeah. So that's kind of where that all came from. Was it hard for you to, like when your wife told you that, was it hard for you to take that step and go talk to your doctor or was it a pretty easy well, uh, step for you to make? Yes, it was, it was, it was hard and it was easy because it was hard because it was difficult because I felt the stigma, you know, I'm like, oh man, this can't be it. I was sort of embarrassed that she yeah. even said it, but it was easy because I was ready to just feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, finally, maybe this would, will help, you know, and I won't have to feel, you know, anxious or, you know, because in a lot of ways it didn't present itself as like a nervous feeling for me or it just presented itself in these physical ways at first that I noticed. And so I was just ready to get help. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wanted to talk a little bit. You mentioned that you worked on a church staff. Yeah. You're, you're, you work with me here at the gathering. So you still work at a church in addition to this podcast stuff and radio stuff. But the stigma around mental health has sort of a unique manifestation maybe inside the church or for people of faith. And so as a Christian, as a person who's been around the church a long time, Talk about some ways that you th- you've seen, either in your own experience or just generally, how how has the church sort of helped, and where has the church actually made it harder for people to deal with mental health? Yeah, well, this one's kind of tricky because I've, you know, I've definitely prayed for a long time that God would relieve me, yeah, you know, of of these mental health issues, and you know, I would see people would send me verses, you know that say things like don't be anxious and like literally say that, you yeah. know, cause there is a passage in the Bible yeah. that says that, although, it, you know, paraphrasing it kind of says, don't be anxious cause God's got your back. Right. That's right. 
But I, and I do believe that, mm -hmm. you know, I think, but it's important to treat it as a condition or an illness. And I should say too, sorry to interrupt you, but I always, I say about that verse, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, you know, go to yeah. God in prayer, basically. Yeah. When Paul writes that, you know, like a lot of things, you know, Paul wrote in Greek, we translated to English. There's a difference between sort of the general emotion of anxiety, which we all experience from yeah. time to time, and the clinical uh, diagnosis of an anxiety disorder, which right. is different. So Paul, you know, when he writes things like that, he didn't mean, hey, if you have an anxiety disorder, you just must yeah. not pray enough. He was talking more to the general person. Hey, when, mm -hmm. when you get just sort of uneasy or start getting out in front of yourself in life. So I always tell people like you can't make these like words matter. And so you have to be a little careful. We use anxiety in both ways, mm -hmm. right? It has like, yeah. a clinical definition. And then there's just the everyday feeling that all of us have yeah. from time to time that's that's different. So anyway, but well, it's go just ahead. like anything that we've seen, like people will take a verse out of context and use it to, to, to try to help, you know, what's the, what's the one there, anyway, I'll, there's one that everyone, you know, I could do all things through Christ. Who, yeah. That's one that's me. sort of out of, it's yeah. out of context a lot, but I, you know, I, but I do believe that, you know, I believe that it's a, it can be a disorder and, and just like someone who has high blood pressure or, you know, that's a condition I have maybe through genetics or poor lifestyle choices. I don't know. So I take medicine to manage that, but I also take medicine to manage my anxiety, you know? So when I first spoke about my mental health issues, I was met with some email messages from church folk and, and who said I wasn't trusting God if I was taking medicine. Please tell me that didn't come from someone at the gathering. It didn't. No, it didn't. Okay. It came from someone at my last church. <laughs> what they say? I mean, they, they're not, you're not trusting God enough? Yeah, as a leader in the church, I was leading people astray by showing my lack of trust in God. And that really, really hurt, you yeah. know. There's a lot of people have trauma and hurt from the church in general, you know, which can actually contribute to the mental issues anyway. So to have people send notes like that was kind of double traumatizing so and i'm glad you named that because i hope you haven't ever felt that way here no. or at least i want people to know that you know that kind of an understanding that somehow these two things are mutually exclusive that mm -hmm. is having faith in god and seeking Right. professional help for things we struggle with, even mental health things. These things are not mutually exclusive. In right. fact, I'm a deep believer that God, one of the ways in which God helps us is God surrounds us with people who can yeah. offer us wisdom, guidance, support, and help. Not just a therapist, not just medicine, not just a friend to talk to, but kind of all these things together mm -hmm. that that it's not a multiple choice. Like, how do you want to deal with your anxiety? Yeah. Pick faith, pick a friend, pick a therapist, pick medicine, but we can do it all. Yeah. And that's a faithful way to respond to God. Um, how is faith? So, I I mean, I think that's a great example of how the church hasn't helped. Right, yeah, how, yeah. How has the church or faith been helpful for you or for others that you've seen? Like, in, in, has it helped you at all deal with Yeah, anxiety? you know, kind of it's kind of helped in some ways, in some ways it hasn't been helpful just because it's, it's not always been looked at as something that's okay to talk about. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't oft often churches are not saying, you know, 
or preaching about mental health conditions. The gathering, you have definitely done it in the past. It's been, I think that's it. That's part of just recognizing that people deal with that is something huge, you know, and, and especially now we're living through a pandemic still, we have people who are feeling these anxious things, maybe not a disorder, but they're having anxiety, right. Depression from, from being shut in things like that. Um, you know, the church has a real opportunity to help right now, I think, but, you know, speaking as a Christian, it's hard for me to imply that God's not enough. You know, as I don't mean that God's not enough to get us through anything, you know, miracles happen. But I think like what you were saying earlier, like human beings showing kindness is sort of a miracle in a way, you know, or, or medicine is, is a miracle. Therapy is a miracle. So for me, I've noticed that God's enough in that way for me. Yeah. You know, that's how my faith has helped. We need to recognize that just praying might not be, but that God made those other things and made scientists and in the image of God to treat mental health disorders medicinally. So I think, you know, for me, and my faith, kind of framing it that way has really been helpful. I'm going to share an old preacher joke. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sound like an old preacher. Maybe you've heard this one, mm -hmm. but it's. Uh, I think it illustrates a point that you're making and something that I really want people to hear. Um, you know, there, there's this guy who is trapped in his house during a flood, and the floodwaters start coming up, so he climbs up to the roof of his house. And, you know, the flood water is like up to the upper story of his house when he's praying, God, say, please save me. Like, yeah. I'm going to die up here on this roof. And so as he's praying, a guy comes by in a boat, says, hey, do, do you need off that roof? Like, come on, get in the boat. He says, no, 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 uh, I, God's got this. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need the boat. And so the guy moves on and floodwaters start coming up. Now they're up to the gutters uh, of the house and Guy's praying, God, I hope you'll save me. And a you know, a second guy comes by in a boat. Hey, you want to want to get in? No, no, no. God, I trust God. I'm trusting God for this. Uh, he moves on. Now the flood water is like all the way up to the peak of the house. This guy's praying hard. God, you got to save me. And a third guy comes up in a boat. Hey, you better get in. Yeah, you want help? No, no, no. I don't want your help. God's. I trust God. God's got this. Guy takes off. Well, the flood water finally takes over the house. This guy drowns. He dies. He goes up to heaven. And, uh, and he, and he says, he's at the pearly gates and he, you know, finally meets God and, you know, he says, God, what gives? I prayed, you know, so hard trusting in you to save me. And God says, save you. I tried three times. Mm -hmm. And I know it's kind of a corny joke, <laughs> yeah. but the idea, you know, that, that there are certain Christians that somehow don't see the help that surrounds us as the way that God helps us. Not, you know, I trust God to help me. Therefore, I don't need to do mm -hmm. these other things. And I just think it's so important because we don't even have to get caught up in diagnosis if that's hard yeah. for you to handle. I mean, going and seeing a therapist or going and seeing a counselor or exploring whether or not this might be something that you can get help with you don't have to have a diagnosed condition or to say I'm clinically depressed or I have anxiety to go talk to somebody. I mean, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that I go and talk to a counselor and therapist regularly, even though I've never uh, been diagnosed by my doctor. Mm -hmm. I've oftentimes, you know, f felt anxious or depressed 
in a way that I didn't think I could get out of alone or that it wasn't best for me to get out of alone or I didn't have to. And so going and seeing somebody is, is, uh, does not have to be a, uh, declaration mm-hmm. that you have some condition even, uh, it also is not antithetical to faith. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that you're not trusting in God. So, I, I mean, I just want to emphasize yeah. that point because I do think for so many Christians, there is this misunderstanding that somehow God and the help of the world, if you want to call it that, or what can come from science or therapy or something like this, that these two things are at odds. And I think that's that has been one way in which the church has not served people well. And one of the things I think the church can do most is help people to see that faith, uh, that, that all this stuff is part of faith, that all this stuff is part of the way that God, God helps people. So, um, uh, I, I think your story, you know, indicates that, you know, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the church ways the church can help is, is exactly what you're saying. Recognizing that, you know, there's nothing wrong with a person's faith or their character or, you know, that's huge. That's helpful. And then kind of the main way I've seen some churches be helpful is recognize and affirming persons dealing with mental health issues, which, you know, is what you just said, basically. So, you know, I've, I've thought about like, how, how would I wish that churches could, could better serve people? You know, uh, part of me wants to say that every church should have a ministry focus, there are mm-hmm. some churches that have ministry focuses for mental health. Um, but a lot of people think that the one thing they care about most should be a ministry focus at a church. Yeah. So, you know, I care about the homeless. That should be our ministry focus. I care about this. That should be our ministry focus. But I think as long as it, as a church would affirm those who deal with mental health issues and then have kind of like a, a genuine, gentle and genuine handoff to mm-hmm. resources, that's, that's big. Yeah, it you is. know, the promise to walk alongside them through that. Um, you know, we could see the church become a really safe place for people with yeah. mental health issues and a clear path is helpful because I think that most people, they go to church. They don't know that their church has resources yeah. or can help them with resources. So I think that as long as they have that clear path, it's if there isn't a clear path to help within the church, many just won't ever seek the help through their faith community. Yeah. I want to, I want to kind of change the subject just a little bit because we've talked about, you know, your own, your, your own story of mental health. We've talked about what it's like to have mental health, but there might be people listening and saying, I, I get all this, but I I'm fine. I really am fine. Sure. And that's great. I mean, we celebrate that. Not everyone um, deals with this. And so there may be people listening saying, well, this doesn't really have anything to do with me. But the thing is, all of us, you know, I said at the beginning of, of the show that, you know, one in five people struggle from depression, anxiety. I think one in four yeah. recently from Johns Hopkins struggle with some kind of mental health condition. So we all know somebody. Mm-hmm. We all have a family member. We all have a friend. What do, do, have you gotten into? Talk a little bit about how can a friend or a family member, what are some things that are helpful and not helpful sure. to do? with someone else in your life who might be struggling with a mental health condition. Yeah. Well, on the podcast, we, we just, we have season one finished and I'm working on season two. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a topic that I'm hoping to talk to someone, a professional about, you know, 
in season two. But, yeah. You know, I can only speak really for anxiety and some depression because that's yeah. mainly what I've dealt with, but mostly anxiety. But some of the things that are, are not helpful are like, don't, don't minimize the fear of anxiety or depression. That's a real thing that's happening in that person. You know, don't call them selfish because a lot of times it makes you, it makes me very self-centered and self absorbed in a way because I'm just so focused on this thing that's causing me this anxiety yeah. or the anxiety itself. Don't tell them to try harder, you know, because you know, say something like snap out of it. You know, that's yeah. not helpful at all. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Oh, just snap it out up. of it. Sure. Like, Thanks for saying that, you know, and don't, you know, don't blame or shame. Those are some things I, you know, don't blame them. Well, your anxiety is because you made this choice or you're, you know, you shouldn't have done that. You know, that's not a help. It's just not helpful, but some helpful things that, you know, I've thought through a little bit is, you know, tell them you're there for them. You know, ask what, what can you do to help? And most of the time there's really nothing you can do, but just asking, asking just shows that you are there and, it, and that they're not alone. So, you know, listen if they're willing to talk. And I think one thing that I've really struggled with talking about a, a little bit is this idea of people who do have anxiety and depression need to learn to realize that they are still responsible for themselves so when they do become self-absorbed, self-centered, like there has to be some balance. And I don't want to contribute to stigma yeah. with this, but like there has to be some way for, for them to take some responsibility because not every time I'm rude or mean to my wife, am I having an anxiety attack? Right. Do you know what I'm saying? So, well, it, it is, it's a, this isn't to shame or to blame the victim or anything, but yeah. for all of us, one step in maturity is learning how to take responsibility, even for our struggles yep. and not use them as a excuse for bad behavior, but rather to deal with them honestly mm -hmm. and openly. So actually dealing with mental health is one is a maturity step in no longer allowing it to right. be the excuse. Yeah. 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 And I think, with that said, I think another way to help is to make sure that you're taking care of your yourself and your own mm -hmm. mental health and don't let, you know, don't let your loved one's mental health issues become yours. Yeah. You know, that's helpful. That's helpful to you, but it's also helpful to, to your, your loved one. One thing that I've, you know, because a lot of people close to me have dealt with this friends or family. Uh, one thing that I, I always say to people or family members is you know, be careful of trying, like to you, the answer might make so much sense. Yeah. It might be so clear to you. Like, why don't you just do this? If you would just do, if you would just go out more, if you would just connect with somebody. Right. And, and you'll often say to yourself, I just don't get why you can't, Yeah. you know, or we'll try to explain it in rational terms. And I always tell family members, if you're dealing, if you're frustrated, because it can be frustrating. Yep. If you have a family member sure. or loved one who's, deals with depression or anxiety, I know it's really hard to, to take off your rational cap, but remembering that at least clinical uh, diagnoses aren't rational. That's why yeah. they're, they're not the normal kind of anxiety that everyone yeah. experiences. They're a different kind. They're a, you know, there's almost a, like an extra bit of it. There's an irrational element to it. Otherwise, if they could just 
rationally think through it and move on, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. I've often said that logic or rationality in this case is, is no match for my anxiety. That's right. (laughs) So, but oftentimes from the outside looking in, we'll try to like, Hey, if you could just do this or why don't you do this? Or it makes so much sense to me, but that's, that's actually the definition. That's why it's a condition for Mm -hmm. somebody. And so just resisting that temptation to exert your logic yeah. on them. And, and I know it can be really frustrating because you, you don't understand why they can't see what you see, but that is what makes it a problem. So being patient in that yep. and remembering that it, it it's not rational, it doesn't act rationally. And that's why it's such a struggle, uh, for other people. Um, well, I, I want to, the podcast, I mean, it, it really represented, for you kind of a new lever level of self-disclosure. I mean, you've talked about it before, but now you're, you're out there talking about it. I mean, were you nervous about that or how has the show been received even in just the first season? Talk a little bit about, you know, who's found it and what's happened Mm -hmm. because of it. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't nervous while I was making it because I made, you know, I pretty much recorded all of the episodes before I, I ever hit publish. But once Mm -hmm. I hit publish, I I began (laughs) to feel a little nervous because you know, the podcast, this one specifically, is I'm really putting myself out there. And it's all yeah. on record. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> like literally record, record. So I definitely had some anxiety around doing the show. But um, as far as it's been, like, received, I've had a ton of people reach out and just let me know that it's been helpful and that they can relate and they don't feel alone. Um, one of the things I have, and at first I felt kind of silly about doing, but I have merchandise on the website and I'm always wearing it now. And, uh, but it goes towards the cost of, you know, every, all the proceeds goes to the cost yeah. of making it. I don't keep, I don't pocket that. And, but people are buying these shirts that say like, I'm wearing one right now. It says smash stigmas and you are not alone and believe in the good. And, and they're just by, by helping me keep the podcast alive and going, they're also helping to smash the stigmas just by wearing those shirts. Yeah. You know, we started a Facebook group that's reached over 500 people and people, you know, talking there about their struggles and we try to keep it a positive place and, and a safe place. And it's kind of cool. So, you know, it's, that's, it's definitely bigger than I ever imagined it would be. Yeah. Well, I think that, I, I mean, I, I think it's such a, te- a testimony to, you know, when we, when we hide from any, anything in our life that feels like a struggle or where there's a stigma, when we don't want to deal with something in our life, when we shy away from our struggles, not only do we not deal with it for our own sake, but we, we rob that struggle becoming an opportunity to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I think what you've done is powerful because by kind of taking your anxiety on kind of head on by having the courage to sort of deal with it yourself. What's cool is it's not only a burden and I'm sure it still is a burden sometimes in your life, but now it also has this redemptive purpose. Like Mm -hmm. your own struggles becoming a way for others to say like, Oh, I'm not alone. Or maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to reach out as well. Or maybe because Jeff talked about it, I don't have to feel bad talking about it. And that, that Jeff, I think, is is really remarkable. It was one of the big reasons that I wanted to talk mm-hmm. to you. Uh, I have to ask you, has seeking help, medicine, therapy, has that helped your anxiety? I mean, is it different now than it was 
back when you went home sick because you yeah. didn't know, you know, you, you had to get out of that church that you once worked in. Talk about what's different now sure. because of the help that you sought. Yeah. You know, honestly, uh, it is definitely different. Um, and I think it would be dishonest and disservice to say that it, I don't have down moments mm -hmm. that I don't have to readjust my medication that happens often. And, it, and, and you, for me, I go through a slight up and down, up and down process through those adjustments until it kind of levels out and I feel me again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so, but through therapy, you know, I, 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 I do talk therapy, super helpful. Um, you know, just having someone who is sort of paid to, <laughs> to sit there and listen to you hash yeah. it out, you know, because I don't think, you know, you keep so much inside for me kept so much inside and, and the opportunity to speak these things has been super helpful. So from, from the time that I, you know, had to go home sick or even as a little kid, you know, I still feel those moments. Sometimes I don't often feel this, the, the physical, uh, aspect anymore. Um, but sometimes I do, you know, and it, it's just Andy Stanley is a pastor, you know, a big famous celeb pastor, I guess. And he has like an axiom when he talks about leadership things like, um, whether or not this thing is a, is a problem to be solved or attention to be managed. Mm -hmm. So for me, my anxiety, I've kind of grabbed his thing. My anxiety is a, is not a problem to be solved, but it's attention to be managed. Mm -hmm. So I carry that around and kind of think of it that way. So I'm always in process, you know, it's never, it's never fixed or, or, you know, resolved. It's just always just managing it, mm -hmm. which is a whole lot easier than just, you know, living with it untreated. And managing <laughs> is great. Yeah. I mean, all sorts of things in our life are much better managed that's than right. left to run wild. Yes. And, and, and uh, I think that's a great word about mental health, mm -hmm. that it's not a problem to be solved. It's attention to be managed. But uh, now you know when that physical sensation or whatever happens yeah. to you, it's not, it doesn't have to take you completely by surprise. You probably that's have right. tools to say, oh, I, I know this. I've been here before. I can, yeah. I, this is something that I can, yeah. uh, I can still, you know, be in this place or be at that restaurant or be at work. And I, I now know how to navigate this, yeah. which it, so real progress can happen. That's right. It's when not, you choose to reach out for help. It's not perfect, but it's like you said, it, then what, it's a lot better than it running wild. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it, it's not a, it's not a failure when no. you still struggle with it, everyone's going to still, I mean, this is not like a cold where, you know, yeah. give you a medicine, it goes away forever. Yeah. But, uh, but I always like to tell people there really is hope that it can That's feel right. different maybe than it does right now. Absolutely. If you're not getting any help. So some people listening may think, man, this might apply to me actually. But then I know people's tendency is to quickly talk themselves out of um, seeking help or become yeah. quickly resistant let that moment pass. So I'm just curious, like, what do you want to say to anybody who might be listening, wondering if man, maybe this is me or maybe I should reach out for help or just any words that you want to share with them? Yeah. I, I'd say that if you think that this might apply to you, it probably does. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, John, we were talking earlier, Johns Hopkins reports that one in four adults suffer from a diagnosable mental mm -hmm. disorder. And so a lot of us are walking around with a disorder, but it's not just people with disorders. So when you, when you take away the disorder and just add a generous, 
the anxiety feeling, especially yeah. in the pandemic, that number shoots to probably 100%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know very many people. Maybe it's like 99.99%, you know, yeah. people who don't suffer with some feelings. So I think, you know, uh, it's okay. It's, it's just, it's not just about a disorder. It's, it's not just about the anxiety, you know, that we have it work can cause it family can cause it the pandemic certainly has caused it so some of us require medication but i think everyone could benefit from talk therapy so that's what i would probably say is is at least uh at least maybe think about a, a therapist a counselor you yeah. know but also um something i i wanted to, to say is that this part of the podcast simple mental health this is something i didn't even know i didn't know that your general practitioner could diagnose you. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. And I've talked to several people who didn't know that. So that's something simple. Most of us have a, a, a doctor we go to for checkups for a yeah. point. Talk about your mental health with your doctor. So I would, I would recommend that next time you have a scheduled visit, if you're feeling it, just mention it. Well, just like we have vital signs for all sorts of other things, yeah. you know, we monitor our heart all the time. We mm-hmm. monitor, you know, our weight and our, uh, blood pressure and things like that. Yeah. Um, check in about your mental health. It's a great word. Uh, Jeff, how can people find simple mental health? Where do they go sure. if they want to listen to the first season? Yeah. That's uh, thing number one. And secondly, when season two, coming out? <laughs> well, first, if you want to listen, you can, you can find it everywhere you get your podcast, just search simple mental health, um, go to simplementalhealth.me instead of like dot com. That's mm-hmm. that's already taken. Don't go there. Yeah. So it's simplementalhealth.me. All the links are there, um, and then like the Facebook group, you can you can find the link to the Facebook group there too. And season two, I'm ho- I've started work on it, mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that this summer, just in time for vacation, you know, traveling, you can listen to season two uh, as you as you drive to uh, your vacation spot. So maybe this summer. Well, we'll certainly mention it on the show, on this show, whenever it comes out. Uh, Jeff, you'll be here next week and the week after and the week after and the week after, maybe not talking, but uh, continuing to help me with this. But thanks today for once again sharing not just your story, but thanks for the work that you do and for speaking to so many I know that are listening who either struggle with mental health or have a loved one that does. Uh, Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Well, it was great to have Jeff on. The funny thing about Jeff leaving after his interview is he's actually still right here, still pressing buttons. Yeah, I'm still here. You're still here. <laughs> but uh, we're going to go. But before we go, Jeff, we're going to open up the mailbag. I'm going to answer one question today. Uh, this question hits a little close to home as a pastor of a church that four weeks ago, today was our fourth week being back in person at our three physical locations of the gathering. And of course, you can still worship with us online at gatheringnow.org. But I got a question that it's from an introvert, a self-proclaimed introvert. Are you an introvert, Jeff? Oh, what? Yes, absolutely. Way introverted. Yeah. Okay, so maybe you could, uh, maybe you sent this as <laughs> anonymous. But person said, you know, as an introvert, I have to admit that I, I enjoyed online worship. And now that we can come back to church, I find myself, you know, preferring to actually stay at home to not be around so many people. So the question is basically, do, do I have to come back to, you know, church, church? And 
Jeff, you kind of talked a little bit about anxiety that comes sometimes from being around other people, going out or something. So I totally get this. Although I, I don't think the question came from a place of anxiety, just a, hey, I'm kind of an introvert. I like doing this alone. And I get this from a lot of people like, Matt, you know, my church is taking a hike and listening to maybe the sermon or just taking the hike and not listening to anything. Or, you know, I worship on the golf course, people tell me, uh, s- stuff like that. So let me try to answer this jokingly and then seriously. I mean, my joking answer is, you know, you don't worship on the golf course. I mean, in one sense, yes, we can be worshiping all the time in life. I mean, we can have a posture of worship, but uh, I don't buy into the fact that, you know, I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to go golfing. It's kind of all the same thing. But specifically to this question in a more serious way, I really do understand the attractiveness, especially at certain seasons of our life, of like, I don't want to deal with other people. I, I'm not sure I'm in, I feel like I'm in a place where I want to be around other people. I think I just want to take this in kind of a solo project. And and I would say to people, you know, first, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you that that's wrong or that you should or shouldn't do that. But I will just say that I think when the Bible talks about the importance of worship, it isn't just about our personal relationship with God, although that is really important. So we all have a personal relationship with God. We want to tend to that. We want to feed that. We want to grow in that. But the biblical vision, at least, of faith is something that also has to do with one another, (laughs) that part of living out our faith is not just growing in our relationship with God, but actually practicing loving one another and being there for one another, and supporting one another, and praying for one another, and and doing this for... In fact, if you look in the New Testament, that phrase, one another, appears, I think, like a hundred times. I think 60 of those times are things that we're supposed to be doing for one another, building one another up. And I always tell people, you know, it's really hard to follow that part of the gospel if you only do it alone. And, and yet, I think it's really important for all of us at different times in our life, it's been really important to have a community to lean on, to have other people to help us when we need it. And part of our faith is also being there for other people who might need it. And so I, I do think that the gathered community on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or Wednesday night or whatever it is, I think there is something powerful about gathering together to sort of demonstrate that we don't just do this alone, but we're here to do it with and for one another. And so I do think that that church is important in that sense, that gathering for worship is important. And you know what? I actually think there's some cool ways to do this online. I mean, we have live online worship times where you can log on alongside other people who are worshiping and in the chat, you can interact with them and you can say, I'll pray for you and you can ask for prayers. And so you can even do this in an online atmosphere, but there's power to multiple people coming together at the same time to worship. And so that's why we have live worship times. You know, in fact, tonight at 7 p.m., we have a a live worship time on Sunday night at 7 p.m. and then every night in the week where someone's moderating it live and you can find that at gatheringnow.org. And so even if you're in a position where you're not quite ready to come back to in-person or you may feel like it's a season where you're, you're struggling to be around other people, I still think there's power to connecting at a common time. But I, I would urge us actually to, to not let go of the idea that when we gather, we, we can practice an element of our faith that we can't practice when we're alone. And I, I say this to my congregation at the gathering a lot. 
that I, you know, I hope that every Sunday that you come to church, you have this mountaintop moment. But I know that realistically, that's not going to be the case. I hope you have had a mountaintop moment. I think a lot of people have. There's been that Sunday where, you know, it's like the sky parted and, and they heard what they needed from God that day or they felt loved at a time when they really needed to feel loved or supported when they needed to feel supported. And I tell people to gather, you know, every Sunday is not going to be like that for you. I get it. There's going to be Sundays you're not feeling it. Maybe you don't want to come, whatever. But every time you show up, every time you show up, even though it may not be a mountaintop moment for you, I guarantee you every single Sunday, every single worship service, someone is having a mountaintop moment. Someone had the courage to show up that day because they needed to be around others or they needed to know they weren't alone or they needed to stand next to, um, at six feet distance, somebody and worship with other people. They needed that. And you showing up, you provided the community that someone else needed that day. And so I still think gathered community is so important but it's a great question. Okay, if you have a question, don't forget, find me. Uh, search uh, Pastor Matt Miofsky on Facebook. You can message me there. The F word at gatheringnow.org. Send me your question, the gathering, uh, the F word at gatheringnow.org, and I will respond to those on air. Uh, it was good to be with you all, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Take care.